KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. KMTT, the Torah podcast. Today is Tuesday. Shur in Parshat HaShavua. Shur Parshat HaShavua will be given this week as usual by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Parshat Vayera, I would like to discuss a story known as the Akedah, um, found in the latter part of the Parsha. Now, of course, the story of the Akedah is a very difficult story and is, in fact, deserving of quite a lengthy analysis. And in the time allotted for our discussion, I would like to focus on three very simple words, three words that begin the story of the Akedah. Uh, I believe that by exploring the problem regarding these three words and some of the opinions of the Parshanim regarding their interpretation, we may well yet arrive at uh, a bit of a deep understanding of the Akedah or at least a glimpse into the essence of what the Akedah is really all about. Um, here in Parak Kafbet, uh, Pasuk Aleph, at the beginning of the story, the Torah says as follows, achar ha'ela, And it was after these words, achar ha'ela, Avraham, And God, using the, utilizing the standard translation for the moment, God tested or tried Avraham, he said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am, etc., etc., etc. The question arises here um, is how should one interpret uh, these few words at the beginning of the story, literally translated as after these words or after these matters, um, etc. In other words, uh, the question is not just a, a literary question, what is the meaning of this phrase, of this term, but also, uh, what is the context uh, of the Akedah? And by logic, uh, understanding something about the, the context of the Akedah uh, should give us uh, some information regarding the essence of the Akedah, what in some sense the story is really all about. I would like to begin with the Parshanot, the interpretation of Rashbam uh, regarding this term, Achar Hadvarim Ha'ela, um, because in fact, of the uh, traditional exegetes, Rashbam is in some sense the first or the one who most clearly uh, addresses this issue of the meaning of the term, the context of the Akedah, and the implication of the context for understanding uh, what the Akedah is really all about. Um, here, uh, in his first comment on uh, Parak Kafbet, on chapter 22, Rashbam uh, states the following, Every place that it says, uh, after these matters, Mukhubar it is connected to the previous parsha, um, the previous segment. Rashbam here begins with a, a literary point, that when the Torah uses the formula, this is a reference to the immediate past. Uh, in other words, to the immediately preceding literary context. In our case, that which happens at the very end of Parakaf Aleph, at the very end of chapter 21, Rashbam goes on to elucidate exactly this point. He's skipping a few lines in his comment. He says as follows, Afkan, so to in this case, Achar Hadvarim, after the matter or words, Shekarat Avraham Brit Avimelech Lo Ulnino Ulinechdo. After uh, the situation, or after the matter, in which Avraham contracted a covenant with Avimelech and with his descendants. Vinatano Sheva Kfasot, Tatson, Etc. So Ashbam makes the point that the phrase here, Achar uh, 
uh, is a reference to the precise literary context, that which happened immediately before. The story found at the end of chapter 21, the contracting of a covenant between Avram and his descendants on the one hand, and Avimelech and his descendants on uh, the other hand, that there is a promise of chesed and peace between the descendants of Avraham, the Bnei Yisrael, so to speak, and the descendants of Avimelech, the Plishtim, so to speak. Um, now, uh, how does this help us uh, in terms of understanding the Akedah, and what is the meaning of all this? Well, uh, Rashbam uh, continues on his comment, it says something rather shocking. And God became very angry at Avram for this. Um, because the land of the Plishtim is in fact inside the borders of the land promised to the descendants of Avraham, inside the borders of Israel. And Rashbam now continues on uh, to bring things together. Lachain, and therefore, moving on to the next phrase in the Pasuk after what does the text state? The text states, Velokim Nisa et Avraham. We normally translate that God tested Avraham or tried Avraham. Well, here Rashbam, in his belief that there exists a causal connection between the Brit with Avimelech uh, and the divine anger sparked thereby and the continuation of the story, Rashbam says as follows, Lachain, therefore, Velokim Nisa et Avraham, God tested, or we, perhaps we should not translate tested, as we will see in a moment. God afflicted him, pained him, and caused him difficulties. Rashbam makes the fascinating and interesting claim that Nisa should not be understood as test or trial, but Nisa should be uh, understood as affliction, paining, or in fact punishment. According to Rashbam here, the story of the Akedah is a story of divine anger. It is a story of punishment in response to Avraham's sin in contracting a Brit with Avimelech. And Rashbam goes on to elaborate the point. Here Rashbam speaks kaviachal, uh, so to speak, in the divine voice for a moment. You became prideful, nitgaeta, in the sun. You became prideful and haughty and inflated with the son that I gave you. And you decided in your confidence to establish a con- contract, a brit, a covenant between yourselves and the plishtim. Now go bring him up for a sacrifice and let us see how much your covenant will help you. So Rashbam views the story of the Akedah on the background uh, of chapter 21. Is a reference to the immediate literary context. Nisa, well, that's not a, a test, that's in fact a punishment. What is Avram punished for? Avram is punished for his overconfidence, his certainty, his haughtiness, his daring to cede parts of the land of Israel to the Plishtim. And God says, well, now let us see what your future is. God punishes Avraham, and by doing so, hopes to teach him the lesson that his behavior was incorrect. So, in fact, the Akedah is not so much a story of test, but it turns out to be a story of punishment. Now, both these points uh, of Rashbam are, are quite interesting, both his literary interpretation of Ahi Achar HaDvarim, after these matters, and his claim that the Akedah should be viewed in the light of chapter 21, and is in fact a story of affliction or punishment. But I think, uh, in the end of the day, despite the, the challenging um, 
concepts and issues that Rashbam raises here, I think in the end of the day, his, his perush is difficult. Even as he struggles uh, uh, with uh, in his own text, and at this, this point we skipped over uh, a bit of his text, the term Nisa here does not really mean afflict or punish. The term Nisa really is test or trial. And, and if so, in the end of the day, despite Rashbam's interesting perush and despite Rashbam's challenging perush, I think we would need to search for a slightly different interpretation to think a little bit differently about the Akedah as something that can more so be viewed as a Nisayon, uh, as a test or as a trial in the classic sense. And in that context, to understand what exactly the context of the Akedah is or was, what precisely the meaning of Ahi Achad Zvarim is. So to try to meet this dual challenge of, on the one hand, um, how to interpret the context of the Akedah of Ahi Achad on the other hand, how to interpret the essence of the Akedah, I would like to move over um, to Rashi. I believe that Rashi contains a perush that also grapples with the term achar ha the context of the Akedah and the meaning of the Akedah. Commenting on this very first verse here, per kafet pasuk aleph, Rashi says as follows, achar ha-dvarim yesh me omrim, Rashi cites rabbinic literature. In fact, the comments of Rashi here are built on a series of midrashim found in Breshit Rabbah. I'm going to skip over the first opinion in Rashi and move to the second opinion in Rashi. Rashi says as follows, V'yesh omrim achar dvarav shel Yishmael. After the words of Yishmael. Now here, achar dvarim ha'ele should not be translated or viewed as matters or as a reference to the immediate preceding literary context, Achar HaDvarim Dvarim should be understood literally as words, after the words of Yishmael. And the context of the Akedah is in fact not found in the text immediately preceding. It is in fact not found in the text at all, according to Rashi and the Midrash, as we will see as we move along. Let's move a little bit further on. Achar HaDvarim Yishmael, Pa'er Al Yitzchak, he glorified himself uh, above Yitzchak, Shemal ben Shloshesrei Shana Velomicha, that he had gone through Brit Milah at the age of 13 and not protested, and of course Yitzchak had done it as a small babe. Amalo, Yitzchak, so Yitzchak responded. So the words here are not just the words of Yishmael to Yitzchak, but they are also the words of Yitzchak in reply. Dvarim is the conversation, the sicha, uh, the discussion between Yitzchak and Yishmael. And what did Yitzchak respond? With one limb do you intimidate me? If God said to me, sacrifice yourself in front of me, I would not hold back. So Rashi here teaches us three things that are, are very, very interesting. And there are three very interesting things that emerge from the Midrash. The first is, so to speak, the imaginative interpretation of Achar HaDvarim this is not a reference to the immediately preceding literary context, the end of chapter 21 and the Brit with Avimelech, but this is rather a reference to the words, to a conversation uh, of uh, Yitzchak and Yishmael. It is in fact a reference to something that is extra-literary or extra-textual. It is a reference to a context of relationship between Yitzchak and Yishmael that is in fact not explicitly found in the preceding text whatsoever. And this is the first very interesting and imaginative point uh, of this Midrash cited by Rashi. And the second and, and crucial point is that 
this Majash teaches us something uh, very important about the understanding of Nisayon. Nisayon is, of course, not a punishment or affliction, but to borrow a, a Stalinist phrase, uh, Nisayon is a trial, but it's not a trial to investigate or check out the essence of the person being tried or tested. It is, in fact, a kind of show trial. Um, what God is out to do is to test Abraham and Yitzchak as well, so to speak, in order to show that Yitzchak is willing to sacrifice himself for God. Um, This here in this Midrash is in fact the origin of, uh, or one of the places where we find in classic rabbinic exegesis, um, what later became the standard understanding of Nisayon, not so much as test or trial in the sense of investigation for the purpose of arriving at information, but test or trial in the sense of demonstration of capability, demonstration of potential, a show trial to show to Yishmael, to show to the world, to show what Avraham and, in this Midrash, what Yitzchak are really all about. And this brings us to the third and crucial point in Rashi. And that is that the Akedah is not just about Avraham, but the Akedah is also about Yitzchak. And the Akedah needs to be read as part of the context of the relationship uh, between Yitzchak and, and Yishmael. Uh, now, this last point uh, requires a, a little bit of elaboration, and I would like to expound upon it a little bit. Now, uh, it is true that the Torah does spend quite a bit of time and, on Yitzchak and, and Yishmael, um, but at first glance it would seem that the Torah does not seem to develop the notion of sibling rivalry in the extensive way that it's depicted uh, in this Midrash. Yet, nevertheless, I do think that there is a systematic uh, comparison or paralleling uh, of Yitzchak and Yishmael, or Yishmael and Yitzchak, more aptly, uh, that occurs um, in uh, this part of the Torah. And it is worthwhile to elaborate elaborate upon this uh, a little bit at this point. There are at least, I think, uh, three and perhaps many, many more parallels between um, Ishmael and Yitzchak um, in, in the Torah. And to understand this, uh, let us go back to Perak Tetzayin, the story of Yishmael's birth. Um, Perak Tetzayin, Pasuk Aleph, tells us as follows. Sarai, the wife of Abraham, had not given birth to him. She was barren. And she had a Egyptian maid servant, Ushma Hagar, and her name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Avraham, God is preventing me from giving birth, I am barren. Come on to my maid servant, perhaps I will be built from her. Now, what exactly the status of Hagar uh, is, is a bit unclear in the text. And whether we are dealing with, um, simply put, the giving of a maidservant over to um, the master of the household, whether this is a story of an additional wife, a substitute wife, either way, um, what causes, uh, the cause of Sarai's giving Hagar to Avraham is her barrenness. And the entire episode constitutes an attempt to surmount uh, Sarai's barrenness it represents a solution to the problem of Sarah's banis, a way to circumvent the difficulty and to build a family nevertheless. So we may think of the existence of Yishmael, the birth of Yishmael, 
as a response to Sarai's barrenness, a way to circumvent the problem of Sarai's barrenness. Now, in point of fact, um, the existence of Yitzchak is, in some sense, depicted in the same way in the Torah. Um, without overly emphasizing the details at this point, the story of Parakut Zion is chapter 17 uh, that announces the future birth of Yitzchak. And, of course, as we well know, it is the story of the barren woman, the aged barren woman, who miraculously is reinvigorated, revivified, and eventually gives birth to this child. Yitzchak is the miracle child that circumvents or surmounts the problem of Sarai's barrenness. So Yitzchak and Yishmael are parallel uh, in this way. Uh, a second parallel, which I think is worthy of note, both uh, Yitzchak and Yishmael, or Yishmael and Yitzchak, are born in the light or in the shadow of a particular covenant uh, contracted between God and Abraham. Perak Tedvav, chapter 15, uh, tells us the story of Brit ben Abitarim, the covenant of the pieces. And immediately following the covenant of the pieces, we have the birth of the child, Yishmael, which is promised, announced, and occurs in chapter 16, immediately following the covenant of uh, Brit ben Abitarim. Likewise and similarly, Avra, Yitzchak's birth is forecast and, eventual, and promised in chapter 17. Of course, chapter 17 is the story of Brit Milah. And the announcement of Yitzchak's existence happens in light of, or in the shadow of the covenant of chapter 17, the covenant of circumcision. It is inherently tied up with it. So, in both cases, um, the existence of both sons is tied up with, or occurs in the light of a particular covenant, without going deeper into the details at this point. Now, a third parallel, uh, although there are many others, a third parallel which constitutes my favorite, brings us back to um, the story of the Akedah in, by, rather in, by an interesting and slightly indirect path. Um, later on in Yishmael's life, um, he faces a, a bit of a threat. Um, Perkaf Aleph tells us the story of the second expulsion of Agar Yishmael by Abraham Sarah. And we know the story. There's a flask of water. Hagar wanders around uh, in the Midbar, and after wandering around in, in the Midbar, this, this causes the, the water to be consumed, and they face the danger of uh, dehydration. And we reach a point in the story in Parakaf Aleph, Pasuk Tetzayin, where Yishmael's life is in imminent danger. His mother throws him down uh, under a bush, and we're told that she sits far away, ki amra, in Pasuk Tetzayin, because she said, al yeled, I don't want to see when the child dies. And she sat across and she cried. Now, at this moment, when the Na'ar, the young youth's life, is in danger because of an action of his parent, his mother, who wandered, uh, allowed them to use up all their water, and then threw him down, at this point, there is a miraculous intervention. In Pasuk Zayin, God hears their voice, Vayikra malach elokim A divine emissary or angel calls out from the heavens, gives instructions, and through the intervention of the angel and the instructions, the Na'ar Yishmael is saved. Now this, of course, should remind us uh, or project us forward to the story of the Akedah, to perhaps the crescendo of the story of the Akedah, just at the point where Avraham sends forth his hand to endanger his son. And again, the Pasuk says, Avraham sent forth his hand uh, to take the knife to, to slaughter his son. And the Na'ar, the youth, and Yitzchak is called a Na'ar throughout the story, is endangered by his father. 
And then at that moment, in Pasuk Yud Aleph, Vayikrai Lav Malach Hashem, there is divine intervention, Min Hashemayim, from the heavens, Vayomer Avraham Avraham, Avraham's name is called out, their attention is directed to the Ayel, which eventually serves to spare Yitzchak. And we have here, just like Yishmael, whose life is endangered by the action of the parent on some sort of journey, so too in the story of the Akedah, Yitzchak, the Nar, his life is endangered by the action of a parent, and in both cases there is divine intervention which saves um, the endangered youth. Um, now, uh, as I said, these are three parallels between Yishmael and Yitzchak, the stories of Yishmael and Yitzchak in the Torah, and I think there are many, many more, and we don't have time to go into the details. I think part of the idea of the Torah here is that we're supposed to engage in some sort of comparison of Yitzchak and Yishmael, and the point of Rashi and the Midrash and their imaginative reading of Achar HaDvarim as a reference to the conversation between Yitzchak and Yishmael is to remind us that the Akedah needs to be read as part and parcel of this sustained comparison between Yitzchak and Yishmael. Um, now, what is the point of all of this, uh, of this Rashi and this Midrash and how are we to read the Akedah um, as Akidat Yitzchak, as part of the relation or contrast or comparison of Yitzchak and Yishmael. The answer to that question, I believe, lies in another Rashi, a bit uh, also found later on in the text of uh, the Akedah. And to understand this, I would like to note that many have pointed out that there isn't too much dialogue uh, in the story of the Akedah. Um, it more or less feels like the story of the march to fate or the march to destiny. Abraham receives the command, there's a bit of conversation, and he goes. Now, in fact, that's more or less correct, but there is one very, very crucial uh, exception, and that is a short dialogue between Abraham and Yitzchak that occurs in the middle of the story. And let us pick it up in Parakafbet Pasuk Vav for the moment. Uh, it says as follows, he took the uh, wood for the sacrifice and he placed it upon Yitzchak. He took in his hand the knife and the fire. So here they march together towards the Akedah, etc. At this point, we have a short two psukim uh, of dialogue. Pasuk Zayin. And Yitzchak said to Avram, his father, Vayomer, Avi, father. Vayomer, and he said, Hineni b'ni, here I am, my son. Vayomer, very stark. Here is the fire and the wood. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And here is Avraham's response. Vayomer Avraham, Elokim Yirelo Hasel Ola. Avraham said, God will show the lamb for the sacrifice. But then Avraham adds another word, Bini, my son. Now, if we think about this from a grammatical and conceptual perspective, there is, in fact, absolutely no need for this extra word, b'ni. Um, Avram didn't need to say b'ni, and uh, that would have made the point that God will show the lamb for the sacrifice. But Avram deliberately, or the text in reporting the speech of Avram, deliberately conjoins the word ola and b'ni. Uh, what you have here is a tantalizing hint that it is the ben, it is the son, that is the ola. And in fact, uh, the Tamea Mikra, the signs for reading uh, the Pasuk, uh, deeply support this. Uh, underneath the word La'ola, you have a Tipcha, and after the word B'ni, you have an Etnach, which signals a pause, and it should be read La'ola B'ni. Uh, the two words are conjoined together in reading them in a quick fashion. Rashi 
picks up exactly on this point and says as follows: God will show and choose the lamb. And if there is no lamb for a sacrifice, beni, meaning it will be you, my son. Here, Avraham hints to Yitzchak that it is intended all along that it is Yitzchak um, who is to be the sacrifice. And now Rashi takes us to the last phrase in that verse, in verse seven, which you have not, uh, verse eight, which you have not yet specified. And that verse, is, that phrase is ve'achu shneim yachdav, and they went on together. In point of fact, the entire conversation between Yitzchak and his father Abraham in Pasuk Zayin in Chet is bracketed by Ve'yachushneim Yachdav before uh, and Ve'yachushneim Yachdav afterwards. And Rashi picks up on this point and says as follows: Even though Yitzchak understood that he was going to be slaughtered, Ve'yachushneim Yachdav, the two of them walked on together, believed Shaveh with an equal heart. What Rashi points out is that we need to understand or realize that the Akedah is a story not just of the testing of Abraham, but it is also a show trial in the sense of demonstrating who Yitzchak is and what Yitzchak is all really about, is, is really all about. Yitzchak is absolutely willing to sacrifice himself uh, uh, for God. If God demands his sacrifice, Yitzchak is willing to provide it. It is about the willingness of Yitzchak to give himself up for God. But there's more to it than that. It's also about the yachdav of Avraham and Yitzchak, both before and after. The same as Avraham is willing to engage in the ultimate sacrifice, so too Yitzchak. They share values, they share ideology, and in some sense, they are in fact identical. They are yachdav, before and after, they are together on the same mission because they are both willing to sacrifice all for God. I think this is precisely the point that the series of Rashi's and Midrashim that we have been discussing are trying to make. If there are two sons, um, and if in some sense they have parallel or similar lives, the question arises in the end of the day, why is it Yitzchak uh, that is chosen and not Yishmael? The answer, according to Rashi and the Midrash, is found in the story of the Akedah. The Akedah, which is a story of Akedat Yitzchak, a story about the fiber of Yitzchak, the belief of Yitzchak, the willing of Yitzchak to sacrifice, his commonality with Abraham and his identity of Abraham. In this story, we find out why it is that Yitzchak has been chosen as the heir. As the heir. In this story, we find the confirmation of God's choice of Yitzchak as the chosen son, as the one who is suited to carry on the inheritance of Abraham. So I think this is Rashi and um, the Midrash. Now, um, I would like to share with you one last uh, interpretation of Ahi Achar HaDvarim Something else uh, which uh, takes us in a slightly different direction in terms of how to understand the phrase Achar HaDvarim and how to understand uh, the idea of uh, Nisayon, the idea of testing found in the Akedah. I think this will move us back in the direction of Abraham. In order to unpack this, uh, I would like to turn back to the text at the beginning of uh, Perak Kafbet, and a very important fact that I think sometimes you overlook when talking about the Akedah, and I'd like to pick it up in Perak Kafbet, uh, Pasuk Bet. Torah there tells us as follows. Vayomer, God said to Avraham, Kachna et bincha et yichidcha asher et yitzchak, take your son that is beloved to you at yitzchak, 
and go to the land of Moriah, and take him up there for a sacrifice. Often, in concentrating upon the crescendo of the story here, the scene at the mountain, we forget that the Akedah begins with, or the story of the Akedah begins with a journey, um, in, in, implicated and implied in this phrase, Lechlecha. God appears to Abraham and commands him on a journey to go to a place. And in fact, although he tells him in general uh, where this place is, Eretz Moriah, it's not really particularly specified where this is all going to take place. Um, the way that Pasuk uh, finishes or continues on is Asher Amar Elecha. So we have here a journey to a slightly unspecified place, and that is really the command of Lechacha here in the Akedah. Now, without a shadow of a doubt, this should take us back to another story in the Avraham narrative. In point of fact, this should take us back to the very first story in the Avraham narrative. Vayomer perakir bet pasuk alef. Vayomer Hashem el Avram, God said to Avram, lech lecha, go. The exact same phrase is later on in the Akedah. Again, this is a journey to a place which is as yet unspecified. So there's a certain parallel between chapter 12 and chapter 22 in that both are stories of lachalcha, stories of journeys to destinations that are as yet unspecified at the beginning of the journey, and this is one parallel. Now, there are a couple of others. Um, looking a bit further on in Parak Yudbet, in Parak Yudbet, Pasuk Vav, what we found is as follows. Vayavar Avram ba'aret ad makom shechem. He comes to a place, a very particular place, uh, which, as we move on, we'll learn something more about it. Ad makom shechem arelon morev, etc. And then at that place, when he comes to the makom, that particular place that was obviously the, the, um, target of the journey all along, God appears to him. So we have here um, a particular place, a makom. We have an altar, a mizbeach, at that particular place. And eventually we have this notion of God appearing or God's appearance as part of the first journey story of Lechacha. But of course, all of these motifs or symbols are prominent themes in chapter 22 as well. Um, if we take uh, a look a bit later on in Perak Kafbet, um, Pasuk Tet, the Torah tells us as follows. They came to the place, the target of the journey, which it had first been unspecified and now is obvious. And there's an altar in that place, which of course is crucial for the Akedah. And of course, a bit later on, there's quite a bit of focus on God's appearance. God will appear there in the future, etc. So you have at the very least a fourfold parallel between the first journey of Avraham, and this latter journey of Avraham. They are both stories of Lachacha to unspecified places at first. They both culminate in a particular place, a Makom. In both stories, you have a Mizbeach at that particular place. And finally, fourth, there is also the appearance of God or the seeing of God in some ways. It's connected up um, in both stories. Now, what is the meaning of all of this? Well, I think what you have here is a possible understanding or a possible glimpse into what Vahi Achar Adzvarma is all about. After the journey of Abraham, after the life of Abraham, after the cycle of Abraham, we have here a closing of the circle. Uh, Perak Kafbet, the story of the journey of Lechacha to the Akedah, comes to close the circle of the life of Abraham and to finish things off in some very, very important way. Vayi Achar could be understood in a kind of 
metaphoric sense of after everything that has happened to Avram and after that he's every, everything he has been to, there is yet one more journey which closes the circle of his journeys that Avram must engage in. Now, this requires uh, a little bit of elaboration, and by doing so, I think we might gain some insight into uh, what the Akedah is really uh, all about. While there are many themes in the life of Avraham, I think there are two themes uh, that may stand out uh, above the rest and are prominent uh, and connected with the journey motif found in the cycle of Avraham's stories in the Torah that spans from chapter 12, Perak Yudbet, through Perak Kafbet. Um, and let us uh, go back to Perak Yudbet and take a look uh, very briefly um, at one more verse there. Um, so the Torah tells us in chapter 1. Well, God commands Avram to go on a journey to a foreign land, to follow after the word of God. But for what purpose? What is the journey for? What is the journey to? Well, the answer is found in the immediate next verse. Pasuk Bet. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, etc. On some level, the first journey of Avraham, which begins uh, with Lechacha of Perak Yudbet, Pasuk Aleph, is the journey to future nationhood. Um, and by no accident, the large majority of the stories that follow after Perak Yudbet are concerned primarily with themes like Zera, children, descendants. They're concerned with themes like Aretz, the promise of the land, territory. They're concerned with themes like Rechush, possession, material wealth. They're concerned with all the aspects of future nationhood and the challenge placed in front of Avram that he faces uh, in his first journey is that of the journey to future nationhood, the journey to Zera, the journey to Aretz, the journey to Rechush, uh, to descendants, the land, and possessions, to follow after God in pursuit of a dream or a vision, and to journey towards the achievement of these things. Uh, while this may be correct uh, in regards to the first half of the Abraham narrative, the cycle of stories that runs from Perakid Bet to Perakid Zion, I believe as of Perakid Zion, there's, there's a bit of a change. Let us take a look at Perakid Zion, uh, Pasuk Aleph, the story of Brit Milah. And right before God announces the command of Brit Milah, um, he appears to Abraham and says as follows in Perik Yitzayim, Pasuk Aleph, Vayomer Elav, Ani Kel Shakai, I am Kel Shakai, Hit Alech Lefanai, and we don't often normally pay attention to this, but I think this is very important. We have here again the stem, Lech, Lamed, Kaf, the journey command. God commands Abraham to go in front of him, to walk, to travel, to pursue something. And for what purpose? Vayet Tamim, and to be perfect. Now, it's not really clear exactly what perfection is about here, uh, but I think we can um, gain something by remembering a famous midrash of Chazal found in Rashi at the beginning of Parshat Noach. Chazal, of course, traditionally compare Abraham uh, and Noach. Um, and the Rashi at the beginning of Parshat Noach famously tells us, well, there are two dayot, one day, uh, one position that if, Abraham had been, that if Noach had lived in the generation of Abraham, he would have been an even greater tzaddik. And a second position, a second opinion, that if Abraham 
had lived in the generation of Avram, he would have been Nakshav Klum, he wouldn't have been considered anything. But why do Rashi and the Midrash compare Avraham and Noah? Well, I believe it's based upon a very particular verse. If we take a look in Parak Vav, Pasuk Tet, the Torah tells us in introducing Noah, he was a righteous man. He was tamim. He was perfect. So Noah was metalech, and he was tamim. Avram later on has commanded to journey to walk to be metalech, and he is told to be tamim. He is challenged to be like Noah, and hence the comparison between Avram and Noah found in the Midrashim and Rashi. Well, in what sense is Noah chasadik? In what way is he tamim? The answer can be found simply in one word, and the answer is ethics in the largest sense of the term. Immediately afterwards, the Torah tells us, the world was corrupted. There was physical corruption, there was moral corruption, there was sexual corruption, and there was Hamas, as Pasuk Gimel tells us. God says he's destroying the world. Noah does not participate in the Hashchata, in the Shechitut, uh, in the corruption, physical, moral, spiritual, nor in the Hamas, nor in the societal corruption of the Dorham Abol. And this is the challenge placed in front of Avram, to be tamim, to be ethically perfect. And by no accident, the majority of the stories found after Parak Yudzayin on this second journey of Avraham, the journey to ethics, or perhaps the journey to ethical monotheism, involve ethical notions such as caring for the other, such as hospitality, such as prayer uh, for the sinners of stone, concern for mishpat and tzedek, etc., as God himself puts it in chapter 18 in revealing himself to Abraham and informing him regarding the looming destruction of Sodom. God says in Banav, I made myself known to Abraham so that he should command his descendants and they should keep the path of God to do tzedakal mishpat. The second journey of Avraham Italaik Lifanai Vayetamim is about ethics, it is about ethical perfection, and this is the challenge placed in front of Avraham. Now, to bring ourselves back to the Akedah, I think we now realize here, after these two journeys, the journey to future nationhood, the journey of faith after the word of God to future nationhood, and the journey of ethical monotheism, the journey of ethics, Avraham is faced with yet another journey, a third journey, another challenge, the journey to absolute acceptance of the will of God. What the Torah in Parak Kafbet calls your Atelokim, the fear of God. As it says after the Akedah, um, we're told, Atayodati in um, Pasuk Yudbet, Kiatayodati Kirei Elokim Ata. The story of the Akedah is not about the journey to future nationhood. It is not about the journey to ethics, but it is a journey to the absolute acceptance of the will of God, the journey to Yirat Elohim. The point is that after everything Avram has been through, there is yet one more journey he must go on, the negation of his will in front of the divine will, the journey of Yirat Elohim. Now, I would like to make one last point and to finish up with this last point. In point of fact, the third journey is not just a separate and additional journey that Avram must engage in, but on some level, it is the negation of the previous two journeys. If the first journey is about the pursuit of future nationhood, 
Well, Yitzchak is the chosen child. If Yitzchak no longer exists, if Avram sacrifices him, then there is no meaning to the promises, there is no meaning to the land, there is no future. And Avram is called upon to give up um, the first journey. He's called upon to give up the values of the first journey. He is called upon to negate his will, to accept in an absolute fashion the command of God, to negate the first journey. Likewise, the second journey, the journey to ethical monotheism. What does God demand of Abraham to do? God demands perhaps the absolutely most unethical act we can imagine. God demands murder, the sacrifice of one's own son for the purpose of the need of the God. What could stand in greater opposition to Avram's belief in the justice and goodness of God in ethical monotheism, in Avram's commitment to ethics, in the sacrifice of another human being for the sake of God? Avram is called upon to, again, so to speak, give up his values. This is the journey of negation. It is the journey of the acceptance of the absolute. After all these matters, Avram is called upon to do something which is in fact incomprehensible to us. Of course, in the end of the story, he passes. After all that has happened, there is yet another level of self that Avram is able to show to the world, and that is his success in the journey of self-negation, his success in the journey of absolute acceptance of the will of God, his success in the journey of Yirat Elohim. So I think we've learned something here about Achar Advarim and also something about how to understand the Akedah. I'd just like to note as a final point that these three journeys, uh, these three aspects of the story of Abraham, here exist in a particular kind of relation where journey three, the journey of negation, may seem to supersede journey one and journey two, the journey of future nationhood and the journey of ethics. Yet, we should remember that in the end of the day, Avram is not called upon to sacrifice uh, his son. In the end of the day, Yitzchak survives and goes on uh, to build that future nation and to instantiate the values of Avram found in the second journey. In the end of the day, the exact uh, relationship between these three journeys, the journey to future nation or the journey to ethics and the journey to absolute acceptance of the divine will, what the relationship should be remains yet to be determined and perhaps to be discussed at a future date.